listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Last Saturday, Texas Tech Red Raider baseball team was playing against Oklahoma State on their way. We were hoping to play in the Big 12 championship finale. And we went into the eighth inning up five to zero, which in baseball terms, like that's a pretty solid lead, five to zero. Even the announcers were talking like Texas Tech had it in the, it was taken to the bank, had it in the bag going to the finale. And lo and behold, OSU scored five runs in the eighth inning. I remember watching it with some friends and thinking like, okay, it, it, this will work out. Nope. <laughs> Ninth inning came, sure enough, OSU won. There's not much in life that is more depressing or disappointing or much of a letdown than watching someone end poorly or team finish poorly. Now, yesterday, our Red Raiders were playing the Florida Gators. Now, I hate the Gators, y'all. I really do. I cannot stand the Florida Gators. We're playing in Gainesville, trying to make our way to the, to the World Series. Now, we have lots of games left, but trying to make, get, get there. And in the eighth inning, it was tied 3-3. Three to three. And I thought, man, we were up 3-1, to one, at 1.3-0, one I believe. And man, we're, we're, we're going to lose again. We're, we're this close, eighth inning, this is going to be it. Until Gavin Cash came to the plate. What did he do? Home run, a two-run home run, right? Put us up five to three, and I think they scored one more than I, but we held on, we finished well. Go Tech, right? Man, it was a fun win. So conversely to ending poorly, when you see someone finish well, man, it is it's exciting, but more than that, it's motivating, it's inspiring. And that, that's what we want to see is people finish well. I think about when you see a married couple that's been married for a really long time, and you, you want to applaud them. I'm like, hey, you guys are doing it. You're going to get there. We know you've had tough roads here and there, but you're finishing well. Or I think about parents who, uh, when I was a college pastor, it was, it was fun to, to meet a college student who was really, really solid. What I mean is they had their head on straight, good godly kiddo, and then meet their parents and be like, what did you do to make your kid this way? <laughs> like, obviously the Lord was at work, but man, you, you've, even though the parenting road isn't over at that point, it still feels like, man, you, you, you finished pretty well. We're thinking about, for that matter, thinking of a college student or a high school student when they're, when they're graduating. And man, when you, when you look at them, though they're in some sense, just beginning their life. At the same time, when they finished high school or college, done really well, they've, they've walked with the Lord, they have godly character, they, they have some social skills about them. You want to go, hey, you, while you're not done, you, you're running well. It looks like you may even finish well. You at least finish this part of your life well. Way to go. Good job. And you think about being a Christian. If you're a Christian, God has put in you the desire to finish well, to run the race of following Jesus really well. 
And today in our, our text in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is looking, you could say, at, at death's door. He, he is on his deathbed in a sense. And what's cool about this passage is it, it's as if we get to sit down and hear some of his final words as he's looking forward, yes, to what's coming, but also looking back and he's, he's celebrating, hey, I've, I've run the, way, the race, I've finished well, I, I, I've done it. So as we look at this text and think about Paul finishing, man, I think one thing that's just appropriate is in a sense, while I know Paul is now in heaven, like in a sense to step back and just kind of applaud, like, man, look at someone who finished well. Like it can be done. Look at someone who did it. But then after we, we look and, and really just kind of celebrate as we read what he had to say at his deathbed, after that, we're going to just kind of flip the mirror around and just reflect a little bit. Okay, if that's what finishing well looks like, how am I running? Because if you want to finish well, you got to run well. So, so what does Paul have to say about this? And what a privilege to, to read some of his final words. He says, verse six of chapter four, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. So if you remember the context of 2 Timothy, this is Paul's last letter that he wrote. He's in a prison in Rome and he knows at this point he was headed soon to be killed, to be, he was headed to be beheaded by Nero, charged with really being a Christian. <laughs> He's gonna be a martyr for the faith. Look at what he says. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. So while he's not dead yet, he's saying, my life is being lived sacrificially. It's being poured out. This is really good Old Testament Jewish biblical language when he says drink offering. So often in the Old Testament, we read about burnt offerings and sacrifices and offerings. There would be meat, an animal on the altar. But then what they would do, they would take wine a drink offering and pour it out either over the meat or around the base of the altar. And it would be a sweet aroma to the Lord as it burned there. What Paul said, that's what my life is like. It's being poured out. Every last drop is being poured out as a sweet aroma, as a sacrifice to the Lord. So if you're familiar with Paul's writings, that was constantly a theme of his life, that it's not about me, it's about Jesus. It's about people knowing him, my life being lived for his glory. So God, my life is in your hands. When it says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. It's actually in the passive. So what it means is it's not that Paul's saying, I'm pouring myself out. No, he's saying, I've given myself to the Lord and he is actively pouring me out. That's a cool picture. That's not about me just being busy and doing things. No, it's me. God, here I am. Use me however, whenever, wherever you want me to, to use me. It just pour me out. It's a drink offering. Because my, my departure is close. I love that word departure. He's talking about death, right? He's talking about dying and going to be with the Lord in heaven. That's why he says departure. But there's really, there's, there's four different ways that word for departure in the Greek was used. And all of them, I think Paul probably, he probably just was thinking of one when he used that word. But all four are quite picturesque for the Christian life. So, one of them, the pictures there with that word departure was of an animal being unyoked from uh, the, the working equipment it had on as it worked. So it was, it was a departure from the yoke to be set free from it. 
What a cool picture for the Christian life that if you know Jesus, when you die, you, you leave behind the work, the burden, the cares of this world to go to be with Jesus. Another picture there with that word departure is of a prisoner's shackles being loosened or set free. Think about that. Paul's saying, hey, when I die, I'm being set free from sin, from flesh, and get to be with Jesus. Another picture there is of a soldier who's been at war, been at battle, and living in a tent. And when he's done with battle, he loosens the stakes that are in the ground on that tent. He strikes camp and leaves to go back home. What another cool picture. Paul's saying, I've been in this earthly tent as I've been here serving the Lord, but you know what? As he calls me home when I die, I'm gonna pull up these tent stakes and I'm going to my true home in heaven. And we look forward to that day, right? And the fourth, maybe my, my, my favorite of the, the word pictures there is of a ship that's been in harbor, been at port, and it's tied to the mooring. So the anchor's down, and then the ropes there are to a permanent structure. But when it's time to go, to set out to sea, to go to somewhere new or different, they pull up the anchor, untie the ropes from the moorings, and head out to sea. And what, what a beautiful picture of the Christian life that you know, we're, we're right now tied to this earth, but when Christ calls us home, when he comes back or when we die, it's as if we, we pull up anchor, we release those ropes from the moorings, and we set sail to a brighter horizon to the shores of heaven. We look forward, we long for that. That's why Paul, as a believer, even though he's facing death, would probably, church history tells us that he was probably beheaded for his faith, and yet he looks at death, and it's just a departure to something better. Do you remember what did Paul say in Philippians? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's, it's not that he wants to die, but he said, hey, when I die, I get to be with my Lord and Savior. I get to be with Jesus. He's not afraid to depart. He's not afraid to die. Now listen to what he says here. I think it's so good. Fixing to die, looking back on his life. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What an amazing thing to be able to say about your life as a Christian at, doors, at death's door. Now, I fought the good fight. I finished the race, the race. I kept the faith. I didn't give up. When you think about fighting the good fight, there's, the word was used in two different realms, sometimes the athletic realm or the military realm. The point is there was adversity and I kept pushing. I kept punching. I kept fighting. I kept kicking. I did not quit. We're going to have this on the screen, but it makes me think of what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. He said, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked faith. I read that, I wanted you to see that verse because he's not just talking about the fight of, I want to spread the gospel. He's talking about the fight of literally faith of like believing in Jesus. There's been times it's been difficult. There's been times that people or my own flesh has pushed against the idea of believing and trusting Jesus, but I've kept on fighting even when it's difficult. I think it's easy to think about Paul and say, well, man, like, you know, he was at the top. People at the top have it easier. So maybe it was easier for him to live a Christian life. Maybe he didn't have it so bad. Are you kidding me? This is gonna be on the screen too. Think about what Paul says he experienced. 
he records some of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. He says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. I think if Paul saw some of the, the what I'll call TV preaching going on today that says, you know what, follow Jesus and he'll make you rich and life will be easy, he would say, what are y'all smoking? <laughs> it might not what ask what they're smoking, but you get the picture, right? Like, what? that is not what the Christian life is about. Yes, Jesus makes things better. He makes things new in your life. He changes things, but it can still be difficult. It will be difficult. It'll probably be more difficult as you follow Jesus, but he's worth it. And Paul says, man, I kept fighting. I kept fighting to believe in him, but also kept fighting to spread the good news. He says, I finished the race. I mean, what a cool word picture there, right? That the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a what? It's a marathon. That's not just one, one quick little experience. No, it's, it's you keep on pursuing Jesus, walking with him, living for him in every single moment as much as you can. Makes me think of what, Paul said in Acts, we'll have this on the screen for you. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. So he recognizes that the Christian life, God has set before you a course, a, a race, so to speak. And really he's talking about two things. Yes, He's kept running and kept on believing in Jesus, but it's twofold. He's done that, but also kept on running the race of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. See, the, your race is not just about you running and pursuing Jesus and walking with him. It's also about you bringing along, along other people in the race with you. So this is not just for people, quote, in ministry. Every single one of us is called to run the race, walking, running with Jesus, but also to bring others along with us to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, I've kept on fighting. I finished the race. I didn't give up. It was hard. It was difficult, but I kept going. And he says, I've kept the faith. We know from 2 Timothy, he has charged Timothy a lot, several times with guarding the good deposit, of making sure, hey, there are other people who are trying to distort and taint the good news of Jesus Christ. You protect it, you guard it. So when Paul says, I've kept the faith, he's really saying, I have persevered in what I have preserved. So he's preserved the gospel that Christ gave him, the good news that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that he paid the price for our sins. And now as we are made new in him, we're his sons and daughters, we, we protect that gospel as people try to distort it, but then we persevere in it. We keep on believing, keep on trusting Jesus. And Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I didn't quit. And he says, therefore, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, talking about Jesus, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. So say, I've, I've, I'm running the race and there's been some motivation. I'm not running uh, so that God will love me. No, I'm running because, because God loves me. And I know at the end, there's this crown of righteousness. What is he talking about? He says, it's reserved for me and I'll get it on that day. So the day that you believe in Jesus, the day that you receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith, you are declared righteous. We talked about this with the word justification, that when, that when Jesus was on the cross, he bore your sin, your shame, your guilt. And God's wrath was poured out on him so that you could experience the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy and the peace of God. Amen. And if you believe in Jesus, you receive his salvation, you are at that moment declared righteous. You are justified. Because not because your sin's not that big, that big of a deal because you're awesome. No, because Jesus paid the price for your sins and now you get to receive the grace of God. So when you're saved, it's reserved. But he's saying, when I stand before God, when I meet him, then I get the crown of righteousness. And what he's talking, there's a little ambiguity there, but most scholars believe, and I agree with him, that what he's talking about is the crown of righteousness is being made permanently righteous. Another systematic theology, theological word there would be glorification, that you are now not, law, no, not just declared righteous, but you now will not sin ever again because you've been permanently made righteous. Man, don't you long for that day when you don't sin anymore? I've trusted Jesus, so I've been declared righteousness. I've been declared righteous, but I still do unrighteous things sometimes. <gasps> you do too. <laughs> Man, what a glorious, wonderful day that'll be when Christ gives us that crown of righteousness. We get to be with him forever. And notice he doesn't say, this is just for the people like Paul who dominated it. No, this is for all those who have loved his appearing. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. And the reality is, is that those who love his second coming rejoice and long for Christ to come again. It's because they already love, have loved his first coming. We've already loved that. Yes, Jesus paid the price for my sins. He lived a perfect life. Three days later, after he died, he rose again. I love that fact. I love Jesus. So now I look forward to his second coming. He says, if that describes you, then you are finishing well. And you can look forward to that crown of righteousness. Again, as I think about what Paul's writing there, I just kind of want to say, well done. You did it. Good job. You finished the race. Way to go. We've seen so many people struggle and stammer and fall in, in, in their walk. And many of them get back up and keep going. It's, it's nice. It's exciting. It's encouraging. It's motivating. It's inspiring to see someone finish well. I, had a, I have a buddy named Walt Barnes Who's, uh, he's from Missouri, uh, Mississippi, real country guy. And he always says, Brandon, it's good to read books from dead people. I was like, why would you say that, Walt? He says, because you know how they finished. It's true, right? We know how Paul finished. He finished well. Now, as exciting as that is, Paul's not just saying, woohoo, look at me. No, he's writing this. He wrote this. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, God's perfect word to one, motivate Timothy, encourage Timothy as Paul was 
passing on the baton to him, but also he's writing this to encourage, to motivate us to keep running, to keep fighting, to finish the race well. And notice, speaking of that, Paul didn't say, I won it, I dominated all you other people. No, he's saying, I finished. That's the goal, to to finish, to not quit. So what I wanna do as we kind of finish this morning, I want you to think about this past year. Being a college town, we tend to think kind of in terms of like semesters. So think about maybe August to now, this past school year. If you were to look at it as a snapshot of your race, I want us to, I'm gonna look at, give you three questions. Give us three questions to consider how we are currently running. Keep in mind, this snapshot doesn't define you, but it is a good window into the direction that you're running and how well you're running. Remember, to finish well, you gotta run well. So three questions I wanna give us to consider. Rooted in the text. Number one, is your life marked by selfishness or sacrifice? Is your life marked by selfishness or sacrifice? Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. You're gonna walk with Jesus, follow him. You're gonna run the race well. You gotta take up your cross. There's sacrifice in taking up your cross. Keep in mind, this is not just sacrifice, like I'm sacrificing to serve other people. No, specifically, he's talking about sacrifice. God, I give myself to you, as Romans 12 says, as a living sacrifice. So Paul says, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. So what describes you more? God, my life is all about me, do what I want. Or Lord, my life is in your hands. You know, I love the the picture here that Paul gives of of a drink offering because it can be really helpful as we're asking this question. You know, drink offering, you think about that cup. Again, we're supposed supposed to do what Paul did. We give it to the Lord, and then he actively pours out our life whenever, however, wherever he would like. So really, if if I'm living a life of sacrifice, I look at this window, how have I been doing? Have I been giving my life to the Lord daily in the sense of, God, here I am, do what you want with me, or have I been selfish and seen God more as a waiter? Hey, Lord, over here, can you use a refill? Can you use a little help over here, Jesus? Could you come give me what I want? Which one describes you? God, here I am, take me, pour me out where you want, or God, give me, give me, give me, give me. See, a life, a posture of sacrifice is, God, how can I give? A posture of selfishness is, God, how can I get? We're pretty bad about being selfish, aren't we? I I was, I shared this with the last service. I'll share it again because I feel like it was helpful. Um, I wasn't planning on sharing this. Kind of embarrassing, but last Monday, now I got to perform a wedding for an amazing couple. So I wasn't here last Sunday. Tyler knocked out of the park. Appreciate him preaching, but uh, was performing a wedding this past Monday and Went well, everything was good. But at the reception, about halfway through the reception, I got kind of disgusted with myself. I realized it was just the Holy Spirit doing what he does and being kind, show, helping me, show me what I was doing. I was, I'd spent about half the reception with this inner longing and desire for people to tell me I did a good job. Like I was distracted by wanting to 
get praise from people. And the Lord convicted me in that moment. It's, it's normal to want people to encourage you. That's normal. But I was kind of like becoming overwhelmed with it. And I was convicted by the fact that I'm supposed to be here at this wedding to serve people, to, to honor this couple, to help to perform their wedding, to encourage and love on this family. And instead, I'm just wishing people would come pat me on the back and tell me I did a good job. It's kind of disgusting. You can, you can say it's disgusting. That's pretty sick. The reality is all of us are prone to, to those kinds of things. If we're gonna live a life of sacrifice over selfishness, I wanna challenge you, challenge me to make these two simple prayers. I guess maybe it's kind of three. <laughs> what if you started every day with God send me, God use me. God, wherever you wanna send me, however you wanna use me, here I am. And then the other question I would give you is what if, or prayer I will give you. What if every time you walked into a room, a new situation, to your workplace, to your house, to a dinner party, whatever it may be, what if every time before you walked in, you said, God, help me to give more than I get? It's a posture of sacrifice. God, help me to give more than I get. So again, how are you, how are you doing? As you look at your race, how are you running? Second question are you living as a fan or a follower? Are you living as a fan or a follower? I'm still, I'm using, <laughs> stealing, using that language from Kyle Alderman. He wrote a book called Not a Fan. But if you look at the life of Paul, he undoubtedly had a follower mentality, not a fan mentality. Because I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. That's someone who's engaged in the game. See, fans are there just to relax. Followers are like players in this sense that they're engaged and ready to sweat a little bit. See, fans are complacent. Followers have tenacity. They're not afraid to put in the hard work. If you're still struggling with that, like a fan, think about the football season. A fan shows up to the game one time a week and sits back and says, entertain me. The player day in, day out, is putting in work, putting in sweat, getting better because they have purpose. Paul was saying, hey, my purpose is to know Jesus and to make him known. So I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to run. I'm going to get after it because I care about Jesus. Would you look at this past year, which one describes you more? Would it be that you've just been kind of a fan? Like, yeah, God's a part of my life. Go, go team God. Or is it, you know what, I'm pursuing Jesus. I want to know him. I want to make him known because he's bigger. He's better than anything or anyone. Which one describes you? And, and a follower, they keep the faith. They keep on trusting Jesus. Keep on believing in him. Keep on obeying him. Keep on spreading the good news of Jesus, even when it's difficult. They walk by faith. The late Tim Keller told a story. I was preaching one time about the Israelites going through the Red Sea, and he was talking about faith. And I love this picture he gave. He said, you know, as the Israelites walked through the Red Sea after God had conquered Egypt and the Pharaoh had said, you can finally let your people go. And they were beginning to run from or flee Egypt and go towards the promised land. As they're going through the Red Sea, walls of water on either side of them. Don't you know some of them, if they're walking by faith, were walking through high-fiving each other. Yeah, our God is awesome. He conquered the Egyptians. That's what's up. We're going to the promised land. And don't you know, other Israelites were walking through walls of water on either side of them going, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're not going to make it. Like, But you know what? 
both kinds of people walked by faith. Because it's not about the quality of your faith, it's about the object of your faith. And Jesus is really, really good. So friend, as you, as you fight the good fight and you want to be not, not just a fan, but be a follower, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There are going to be times that you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. This doesn't make sense. I don't feel like doing it. But you keep on walking by faith and trusting Jesus. You keep running the race. You keep fighting the good fight, even when it doesn't make sense, even when you have questions, even when everything in you wants to run the other way, you keep walking by faith. So what followers do. They trust Jesus even when it's difficult. So as you look at this window, this past year, have you been more of a fan or have you been more of a follower? As we want to be followers, I would just encourage you, keep believing in the gospel. Keep clinging to what Christ did for you. As Paul said in 2 Timothy, flee from sinful passions, even when everything in you wants to give into the sin. You choose to believe Jesus. Be a follower, not a fan. You keep pursuing Jesus. Keep making disciples, even when it's really hard. You keep doing it. You keep loving Jesus, even when no one else is. Don't be a fan. Be a follower. Third question I want to ask you, last one. Are you growing in your love for Jesus? Are you growing in your love for Jesus? Paul said, this crown of righteousness, righteousness is not just for, for me, it's for all of those who have loved his appearing. And I said this earlier, if you, loved, if you love his first appearing, you'll love his second appearing. What I'm not trying to get you to do, I'm not trying to get you to question, am I really a Christian? Which if Christ is knocking on your heart right now and you're realizing, I've never begun the race. I don't even know Jesus. Man, today's a great day to trust Jesus for salvation. What I'm trying to get you to think about as a believer is, okay, if I, I want to start the race well, I want to finish the race well, then I need to, to love him where I'm at. Like it's silly to think you're going to love Jesus when you get to see him, when you die or when he comes back if you don't love him now. So my question is, are you growing in your love for Jesus? If you want to finish well, part of that is growing in your love for him. Mark 12, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus quoted the Old Testament. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We're commanded to love God, to grow in our love for God. I want to show you a picture of a couple from our church. What a great picture. So that is R.C. I got permission to use this, just in case you're wondering. That's R.C. and Nita Littlefield back in the, in the background, so to speak. They have been married 73 years. That's incredible. 73 years. This is at their, I got to perform their grandson's wedding. That's Rob Littlefield uh, and then his wife, Condi. This August, they'll been married a year, so they're doing great. They're experts now, right? They can write a book about it. Not really. I love this picture for two reasons. One, because when I think, one, it's just a great picture, but when I look at R.C. and Nita and think about how long they've been married, I know, one, they're finishing well. Like, they, I won't share R.C.'s age, but he's getting there. <laughs> and that, by the way, they don't make him like R.C. anymore. What a guy, him and Nita both. But they're finishing well. When I think about them finishing well in their marriage and just their Christian life, I know, because I've talked to R.C., it's because of God's grace and because they've 
run hard and fought a lot along the way. They didn't get to this point by just cruising and I don't know, we're just kind of hanging out. No, they've been intentional. They've invested in each other. They've spent time together. Now they've been married 73 years. That blows my mind. But I also love it because the fact that Rob and Condi are in this picture, and that was, that was their day one of the race. It was the day they got married. I don't know if Rob and Condi understood in that moment, but what a cool picture to them. What a good challenge to them that if we're gonna run the race well and end up like RC and Nita, there's a lot of sweat, a lot of work, a lot of run, a lot of fighting to love each other for the next long haul. <laughs> Takes intentionality. Takes purpose. So I wanna ask you, are you growing in your love for Jesus. And if, if you're not, then do what R.C. and Nita did in their relationship, is spent time together. The scripture tells us that we love because God loved us first. So as you spend time together, if you want to grow in your love for Jesus, think about, reflect on God's love for you. That while you are a broken, sinful person, Jesus literally was nailed to a cross after being brutally beaten to die for your sins so you could be forgiven, so you could have a relationship with him. And as you reflect on the gospel, it will stir your affection, your love for Jesus Christ. So, gave you three questions. Again, how's your race going? How's your race going? This window that we're looking at, this, this year's time, that does not dictate or determine for sure that's how you're going to end, but it is a good snapshot. It is a good window. It is a good opportunity to reflect, man, how is my race going? Am I distracted or am I focused? Are you in the fight at all? This is going to seem super random, but hang with me. Do you know why lion tamers use a stool? I told you it was random. <laughs> Lion tamers use a stool when they're taming lions. I mean the stool like this, because the lion, while bold, while ferocious, while powerful, while magnificent, while majestic, it tries to look at all four of the feet of the stool. And the distraction of that, by trying to focus on too many things, it almost puts it into a paralysis where the lion, though bold and strong and magnificent, becomes weak and tame because it's overcome with distraction. How many of you, like, you know Jesus. You're, you're on the race. But you've become weak and tame in your walk and in your fight and in your run because you're distracted by too many things. And the call of Christ this morning is to be like Paul and focus on what matters finding your greatest pleasure and your greatest purpose in Jesus and running the race set before you. In a second, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing and we're gonna sing a song called Simple Pursuits. It says, God, take me back to the place we began, the simple pursuit of nothing but you. And my heart's desire for you, for you this morning as your venue pastor, my heart's desire for myself is that we would just get back to simply pursuing Jesus and his call, his purpose in our lives. As we sing, maybe the best thing for you to do is just to stand and sing, or maybe I would encourage you to come to the, 
to use the language from scripture this morning, to come to the altar this morning. If you've been living a life more of selfishness than sacrifice, just say, God, here I am. Here's my life. Pour me out how you will. And you know what? Probably later this afternoon, you're gonna be tempted to pick that cup back up and take it for yourself. It's okay. Just put it back down. God, here I am. And then later this week, you're gonna pick it back up. Just put it back down. Pick it up, put it down. And God, through his grace, will he'll eventually teach you to keep living with God. Here's my heart. Pour me out how you will. If you, if you don't know Christ this morning, there'll be some ministers down front that would love to pray with you, love to explain what it means to just trust Jesus for salvation, submit to him as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you just want someone to pray with you. Again, they would love to stand and pray with you, or you're welcome to come and kneel and just talk to the Lord. I'm gonna pray for us as our worship team comes, and then we're gonna respond. God, we're so grateful for your grace Lord, we want to finish well. We want to run the race with endurance. So God, help us to to keep our eyes, our heart set on you. To pursue what matters, which is you. I know we're so easily distracted by our own desires or sin or just the cares of this world. God, would you take us back to just a pure heart desire for you? Help us to hear you clearly now, to be bold, to lay our lives down for you, Jesus. Would you guide us as we respond? Hear me pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 